one. Welcome to Vistas by WebCheck Security. News, views, and insights into the cybersecurity realm, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Produced by WebCheck Security. My name is Greg Johnson, and I'm your host. The cyber insurance landscape has changed. In today's episode, we're blessed to discuss this topic with two amazing experts, COO Kelsey Kelly and CEO Bob Sargent of eSpecialty Insurance. Now, Vistas is sponsored by Nexus IT, a worry-free, hyper-responsive approach to providing world-class IT support and solutions so that leaders can focus on their business. Thanks so much, Earl and crew, for your support of this podcast in an ongoing fashion. And we encourage our listeners to reach out to you for all things managed IT and cybersecurity at nexusitc.net. And we'll talk more about that group later. Kelsey Byrne Kelly is the co-founder and COO of eSpecialty Insurance, a digital agency that uses technology to provide small and mid-sized businesses with expert advisory on professional liability and cyber insurance. Before starting eSpecialty, Kelsey held key leadership roles in consumer and technology businesses where she was responsible for driving growth initiatives at companies like Overstock.com and Bain Capital Portfolio Company Inocor. She began her career in finance at Morgan Stanley before going on to earn an MBA from Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business. When she's not helping small business owners get the right coverage at the best price, Kelsey enjoys spending quality time with her family in the mountains of Utah. Robert Sargent, also a co-founder and the CEO of eSpecialty Insurance, is a strategic advisor to an investor in early-stage insurance and insurtech companies. Previously, he founded, built, and sold a wholesale insurance broker and underwriting manager specializing in professional liability insurance and was a member of the board and president of the Specialty Insurance Trade Association, or WSIA. Bob is president and co-founder of InsurTech Association, ITA, a nonprofit association supporting and representing all parts of the InsurTech ecosystem through networking, education, mentorship, and shared resources. Wow, you guys, what an honor to have you on today. Um, you're two very impressive individuals. I'd like to uh, tell our audience a little bit about you, so uh, if you'd like to share some fun stuff about you, your family, your hobbies, uh, whatever you'd like to share for a moment. Yeah, Kelsey, maybe we'll have you go first. Sure. Um, thank you so much for the kind introduction. Um, and while you covered pretty much everything, um, I guess one other thing I could um, share is I actually um, grew up originally from um, South Florida. And um, while my primary uh, winter activity these days is snow skiing in Park City. Um, I grew up actually competitively water skiing um, at oh, home. Wow. And, and so I've been a skier all my life um, in different modalities. So so did you, have you snow skied ever since a young age or did you kind of pick it up when you moved to Utah? No, I've, I've been an all, all weather skier um, since about the age of two or three. So Sounds good. It sounds like uh, you'd be on the black diamonds and I'd be on the nice green uh, rolling hills. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, something fun, something about you or your family. Uh, well, uh, thanks, Greg. Um, I have uh, four kids, although they're not kids anymore. They're, uh, I, I think they're adults at this point and, uh, our family is involved in all sorts of activities uh, in the mountains. And so I, like Kelsey, have grown up skiing since uh, I was small and also enjoy uh, biking in the mountains, mountain biking, that kind of thing in the summer. And uh, I guess uh, maybe in fact you don't know, I played lacrosse for most of my life, which is not a big sport in Utah, um, but in other parts of the country is. 
I would say it's getting there now. When I was in high school, Bob, I didn't even know what lacrosse was. And now um, most of the high school teams, I understand, have either a full-on competitive lacrosse team or at least as a club sport. So I think things are changing, aren't they? They are, and the, and the U has a very competitive lacrosse program now, too, in Division One. Impressive. Oh, very, very cool. Well, thanks, guys, for sharing a little bit about yourselves. Um, you're, uh, I, I think we'd be interested to hear about your journey. What possessed you to start this company? Starting a company, I know from personal experience, I've done it twice now. It's not easy, uh, but yet it can be a lot of fun at the same time. So tell us a little bit about your your journey, you guys. What possessed you to start this company? And what problems are are you solving in the industry? Yeah, so um, we started eSpecialty um, sort of based on a problem that um, Bob had witnessed firsthand um, in the specialty lines industry for, you know, his 40 years of experience. So um, we noticed that small particularly small and mid-sized business customers struggle to get appropriate coverage at the best price for two reasons. Um, One of which is um, market access and the other is um, expertise. And so um, Bob sort of saw this gap um, in small and mid-sized business service um, in the insurance industry. And so we created eSpecialty to really bring the market access and expertise directly to the consumer. And this is something that's possible um, with modern technology. Um, and it gives customers the you know coverage that they need in a modern way. So um, by setting up things like short online applications um, that result in multiple quotes in minutes, Um, customers are getting sort of an experience analogous to what they're used to in other industries now in insurance. Um, And the other, you know, large piece of that um, that's really been driven forward in the last six months is the ability to provide AI-driven expertise. So we programmatically bring expertise to the masses by utilizing data-driven, unbiased expertise Um, to give small and mid-sized business customers coverage recommendations and um, quote advisory that, um, you know, gives them sort of the best, the best outcomes of the most, you know, qualified agents. Um, And that's really what we were looking to solve when we started eSpecialty. Wow, I love that. And I was going to ask the question, what do you mean marketplace access? But I think you've pretty much described that. My experience as a business owner has been you go to your broker and the broker asks a few questions and then you get all these forms to fill out. And then maybe a week later, if they're not too busy, (laughs) you get all of these ridiculous documents you have to kind of read through. And, um, it, it's kind of confusing. Um, and it took time and, and it sounds like, that's a big problem you guys are solving, yes? Yeah, I think that's that's sort of exactly the experience that we're used to hearing people have. And when you compare that to something like, you know, the airline industry and the way that you can simply tell them, here are the criteria, tell me what the, you know, the prices are. And the, the slight difference being that we assume you don't know if, you know, what the difference between Delta and Spirit is, um, but we also know that some customers prefer spirit and buy on price, and some customers really would prefer sort of that white glove experience of Delta. And so, our marketplace is not only sort of providing that instantaneous feedback, but also um, we're walking you through the trade offs that you're inherently making about um, different policy forms. Well, and then clearly, I mean, AI or no AI, right? People are still important, and, and, and you two have such a good handle on this industry that 
you know, people can gain that marketplace access, but you're still going to advise them. Yes. And, and, and give them the best service possible and say, Hey, you need this because, or you may not want to do this because, but you're still providing that expertise. Exactly. Yeah. And that's particularly important in cyber insurance because there's so much variation in the coverage and services that are provided. Well, perfect segue, Bob. And and thanks, Kelsey, for describing. I, I love what you guys are doing. In fact, we need to talk we, <laughs> after this <laughs> and review some of our cyber coverages. But uh, Bob, what really does cyber cover? The industry is changing so much. What it was two years ago is really different in my mind than what it is now. I think cyber companies have gotten a little, shall I, I don't know if I want to say savvier or stingier. <laughs> and with all of the ransomware attacks and the realization of the payouts and the adjusters going, uh, hang on guys, <laughs> we need to up our premiums and we need to up our game. We can't just be handing out cyber policies for a few bucks. So tell us kind of what's going on who needs cyber and what is it really going to cover, Bob? So um, who needs cyber? Uh, pretty much every organization um, that, you know, has uh, any kind of information, records, um, processes, payments, um, or relies on systems and technology and data um, to go about their day-to-day -day business. So there's very few organizations that don't need cyber. But you asked, what does cyber insurance cover? And to boil it down, there's there's three major buckets. Um, the first, I think everybody's read about, that's data breach. That's the release or breach of information, confidential information, um, protected individual information, that kind of thing, healthcare information that might get out into some uh some group uh, or the public that's not supposed to have it. So the data breach is sort of number one, but the two others um, may be as important or more important for small to medium-sized businesses, and that's ransomware attacks and fraudulent funds transfer. So ransomware attacks, I think everybody knows, is when some sort of software gets in, um, usually introduced by some sort of a what's called a phishing attack or other means, and it locks up the data typically, although there's variations on this, and they demand uh, an extortion payment in order to release the data. Um, the problem from an insurance standpoint and from a business standpoint is that, that the um, inability to operate because of dependency on systems and data is exceedingly expensive. And you mentioned, uh, Greg, the ransomware attacks that have been uh, very, very active over the last couple of years that have, have cost insurers quite a bit of money, not only the extortion payments, but compensating their insureds for the business interruption losses that they've sustained. And then the last piece um, is probably less well known. It's um, called a couple of different things. The FBI calls it back or business email compromise um, or, you know, sort of the, the term of art in the insurance businesses, fraudulent funds transfer, um, but effectively it is criminals stealing money directly from insureds or small to medium-sized businesses through a variety of means. Um, sometimes that's uh, using phishing attacks and taking over payment systems or bank accounts. Um, other times it's using uh, deception to uh, encourage or motivate people to send money to the wrong place. And that is so common, uh, Bob, even I think almost more common than ransomware. At WebCheck Security, we have a lot of partners that will resell our services. Some of them are uh, MSPs. Some of them are well-known locally, but also nationally. Some of them are VARs or value-added resellers, also CPA firms that do uh, SOC 2. Occasionally, they will get clients that, you know, let's say um, Sally, for example, in accounts payable gets an email that looks so credible saying, hey, we need to switch the the uh, destination of this payment. And then they provide, you know, here was your ACH information. Can you change it to this? And it looks so real. And, and the problem with that is, is, um, you know, once they make that payment, <laughs> and sometimes banks are good about shutting that down, but I, I've heard this so often we lost that money. And sometimes it's significant. It may be a $50,000, $100,000 
payment to a vendor that was otherwise legitimate, but somehow a bad actor knew what was going on, was monitoring the email and intercepted that communication and got that payment rerouted. Does cyber insurance, can it really cover um, that kind of loss, Bob? Well, um, all cyber insurance policies are not the same. Um, so some do not actually cover fraudulent funds transfer, um, and some are actually fairly restricted. But the, the leading policies today by the um, best-known cyber insurance underwriters do cover fraudulent funds transfer and, of course, ransomware with business interruption and the data breach um, obligations that might um, arise. So, yes, is the answer to your question in, in the the most comprehensive policies. So when when you guys are working with your your prospective clients and they come to you, what are some of the questions that you ask um, to determine what kind of cyber insurance they need? Um, and here I am, a cyber practitioner. We, you know, our our company provides some very high level um, ethical hacking, hacking or penetration testing, all kinds of framework assessments. But when it comes to determining what kind of cyber insurance I need, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of clueless. So talk to our listeners about that process. So the process is, um, is interesting and Kelsey can comment on the marketplace that we built and the technology that we use. But I think, um, in a general sense, um, we and underwriters need some information about the business. And that information is obviously the basic contact info, that kind of thing. But, you know, what's, what websites do they use? How do they use technology? And then what does the business actually do? Um, and that, the last piece, along with some cybersecurity questions, are probably the most important. So a tech company, say, that's developing software versus a um healthcare facility versus a consultant would have uh, different types of technology that they depend on and use and different types of data and may have different levels of uh, cybersecurity and the underwriters would use that to determine um, what coverage they would offer at what price. So they're probably using a risk assessment process and we do a lot of those for companies to determine where the data is, where the risk is, and, and the impact to the organization. And then uh, I presume the underwriters will will um, price that risk uh, accordingly. But there, there's an advisement process there, uh, Bob, I'm, I'm sure, right? You, you, have you considered yeah. this type of cyber insurance or this particular rider? Um, and, and so speak to that process a little bit. How do you get involved and find out what basically the client needs education, right? They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So the, I think there, that occurs on two levels. So the first level is what we do in looking at what carers are offering. And we focus our efforts on the companies that are providing more comprehensive coverage and um, meet sort of our guidelines. And there's some companies that don't do that. We tend not to work with them. Um, so that's sort of the first level. And then the second level is specific to a client. And uh, we have not only the expertise side, but the technology that we've built that um, can provide information to the to our clients um, that allows them to balance the coverages that are offered um, between different policies and the price that goes with that and, and services as well. Yeah, so sort of a example would be how... Um, TurboTax doesn't control necessarily the federal filing forms for, um, you know, your taxes. Right. However, they provide you helpful hints while you're figuring, filling it out so that you answer the questions correctly. And that's all built into our online digital application. So one of the, and this sounds very simple, um, and most people would think I don't need a tooltip for that, but for example, your revenue we ask for revenue as part of a um, piece of information we provide to carriers to give them a sense for how big your exposure could be. Um, but we don't, most people don't specify, is that your trailing 12 month revenue? Is that your projected next 12 months? Is it your ARR? 
Is it your, you know, do you, is it the same number you tell investors, right? So is it an inflated number or should it just be a realistic expectation? And since it is one of the key terms that inv- underwriters are looking at to um, sort of quantify the risk and it's going to drive your pricing, we advise that it should be an estimate for your next 12 months and that it should be an accurate one. It, it's probably not the same number you're telling investors. It's realistically, what do you expect? And that type of specific guidance is really what we think you know differentiates our process um, from a lot of other brokers out there. Well, I love it. It, it sounds good and it sounds very thorough. And again, having dealt with this before with other brokers, uh, the process often leaves a lot to be desired. So I like what you're doing. Um, so what are some of the things that underwriters look for? Uh, Bob, if you've got, uh, and I'm going to take, for example, uh, let's take a blue collar company that hasn't been really concerned about their um, IT optimization or their cyber spend. Maybe suddenly they get hit with ransomware or they get a scare um, and they realize they need to be concerned. Um, I'm thinking of, <laughs> in uh, you know, recently, I won't mention names, but there was a trucking company that was pretty severely hacked and, and it shut them down for a, quite a period of time and resulted in some pretty tan- tangible business revenue loss. Um, now they're concerned about cybersecurity. <laughs> But you go back to the stage, you know, pre-data breach, and they weren't concerned, and they probably don't have any cyber programs. What are underwriters going to be concerned with? What are they going to ask them to do? So I, it's, it's really an interesting question, and it's changed from, say, 10, certainly 10 or 15 years ago, where I used to get the question, should I spend money on cybersecurity or should I spend money on insurance? But I certainly am not going to spend money on both. And that has completely gone away. As you referenced earlier, Greg, there's been a lot of ransomware attacks and fraudulent funds transfer that are very expensive for underwriters. And so today the situation is really um, what level of cybersecurity um, have you know, has been instituted at a particular account and and the underwriters pay close attention to that. Now, there isn't a straight answer, though, to what is necessary because it depends on, um, you know, the exposure that a particular account might have and um, and the size. So, you know, for example, it could be a um, specialty consulting firm, I'm thinking of one and won't mention names that actually doesn't really have any confidential information. Um, it's small, there's five or six employees, they don't have a lot of money, um, very few transfers. And so their cybersecurity um, and cyber insurance exposure is, is quite low. And you compare that to someone who's got, um, you know, an account we were looking at recently, something like 70,000 transactions a year, and they all relate to confidential information that needs to be protected. There's a lot of cash moving around. Um, and certainly the company is completely dependent on um, its systems to operate. So that exposure is very different. And underwriters will look at the cybersecurity for the second company quite differently than the first. So I'm not probably directly answering your question, but um, there is there is some variation. I've, I've heard people say to me, well, you know, my company, cybersecurity, cyber insurance is not available. And, and, you know, my response is that I've never seen a company that we couldn't get cyber insurance for. The question is more about um, what is the pricing? What is the coverage that's going to be offered? And are there any requirements that in underwriters are imposing um, before they'll provide coverage? And we have seen some of that. Do, uh, do the underwriters often ask for, for example, if you're, if you're processing, storing, transmitting credit card data, do they ask as part of the process, are you PCI compliant? Or if healthcare, uh, have you conducted a HIPAA risk assessment? Are those kinds of things, uh, do they come up other in regulatory environments? Well, I would say um, HIPAA less so. Um, the, the HIPAA assessment that you mentioned, um, 
You know, the PCI compliance question is 100% um, front and center on anybody who's taking um, and or processing credit card transactions. So, but, but distinguish between two things. So if you're a retail operation and you're accepting credit cards, um, we have seen very few of those operations that are doing it themselves. Almost um, like for our client base, it's 100% outsources that to a third-party payment processing um, company and, or service. And therefore, from a cyber insurance standpoint, the applicant is not actually retaining any credit card information. And it's an important distinction. We talk to our clients about that. Um, and that is um, different from a company that specializes in processing payments and, you know, underwriters look at a payment processor of any type um, very differently than, a, say, a could be a restaurant or a retail store. So, yes, PCI compliance is important, um, but only to the extent that they're actually um, themselves processing uh, credit cards and, and as I said, a lot of people have outsourced that these days. Gotcha. Um, in the manufacturing space, uh, have you seen underwriters come back and ask about NIST, uh, or or do they just ask specific questions such as, do you have an InfoSec policy? Do you have you conducted a penetration test, or what are some of the specific asks that you've you've seen? So it, it varies a little bit, but I would say by far, so so you would probably know the stats better than me, but, um, you know, cybersecurity people a lot of times talk about the number one vulnerability is actually people. And at last, it's been a while, but the last stat I thought saw was something like 82% of all, um, you know, breaches or, or cyber incidents are caused by some person making a mistake, clicking on the wrong person, wrong link, that opening a, a document, that kind of thing. So number one on the list is MFA. And MFA has, uh, in terms of cyber insurance, um, and, you know, how cyber insurance underwriters look at uh, cybersecurity has changed a little bit over the last couple of years. And so they're getting more focused on what MFA questions they're asking. Number one is email, um, but then they're asking about MFA use for privileged accounts like administrators, um, you know, on any specific endpoints that may be exposed um, and certainly on cloud services and that kind of thing. So MFA would be the number one to start with. And that's that's a good response. I, I do they ever ask about security awareness as well because it's kind of the rank and file uncyber savvy, you know, uh, like Fred, Freddie, or Sally that might click on a link. Uh, and so I would think that cyber insurers would look for security awareness training platforms and programs and whether they've been implemented in these organizations. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's where you start getting into people who have a little bit of a different exposure or some size. And then you start getting questions like um, training, um, you know, phishing awareness and other types of training, penetration testing, um, backups, uh, those kinds of sort of next steps. And, and, how, not, and it's interesting because, as you were suggesting, underwriters have gotten much more specifically focused on what exactly is happening. So the question, you know, five years ago, you know, do you have backups? And then it was um, the question worked in, are those backups offsite? And, and now they want to be fairly specific. What's the backup process? How often does it take place? Um, are the backups stored in a place that's offsite and not connected to your network? Um, we've actually had some questions recently um, and this is sort of the process as uh, underwriters change exactly what they're looking for in terms of cybersecurity. But, you know, uh, there's been some questions about, you know, are you using MFA on your networks, network access? And, you know, we have clients that don't have networks. So the idea of a, you know, physical um, office with, um, you know, a traditional network or something like that is in some cases disappearing where people are working exclusively in a cloud environment, um, maybe completely remote. So it's, uh, I think 
there will be some updating of those questions uh, over the next probably 12 months max. Yeah, good insight. There's a lot of cloud stuff going on. Our business, for example, our uh, testers and engineers are all over the country. Uh, we use OneDrive from Microsoft, which resides in their big uh, Azure cloud. Uh, we use Salesforce. Uh, so our critical client data is stored and backed up by Salesforce, and we, we don't control a lot of that. So before we go to a break here, uh, that leads to the next question, which is supply chain and trading partners, et cetera. Who's responsible for their cyber insurance? If I'm doing business with Salesforce, do, do I have to validate that they've got cyber programs in place or what, what are your thoughts there? I think that's the next frontier. So in, in the financial world, um, particularly in insurance, because there's, uh, it's so, I guess the word that we use is interdependent. Um, it, you know, the insurance industry is really a network. And so people pay pretty close attention to contracting and insurance requirements. And I know in many other businesses that doesn't take place, but there's been many um, cyber attacks that have been very successful that come in through contractors or trading partners. And so, you know, from our perspective, it's not that hard to construct a supply chain, um, I don't know, credentialing process. Um, it's, it's pretty standard in the insurance business. It's standard in some other financial services. And part of that process is ensuring not only that the trading partners have cyber insurance in place, but that that cyber insurance actually covers what the exposures are. So I, I personally think that's coming down the pike, um, but, you know, we'll see, see how long it takes. Very good. I know in our case, uh, as we do business with larger organizations uh, that have billions in capitalization, we will often get a security questionnaire. Fortunately, we've recently passed our SOC 2 examination, so we're SOC 2 compliant. It's not appropriate to say SOC 2 certified if you're cyber savvy, but essentially that's what it is. We received our type 1 SOC 2 uh, examination, and that now uh, it helps us with our business enablement. And, of course, it helps others to understand better the security uh, liabilities that they may have in doing business with us and vice versa. So it's an important part of the question as we think back to liability and insurance. Uh, the, the big target breach of the past decade uh, happened through the HVAC system, <laughs> the HVAC. That's what, that's what I was thinking. Of. Right? That's, exactly. Yep. That's so, the poster child of uh, contractor that, access. Exactly. And so that's that's an important part of it. And, and to make sure that your your supply partners, trading partners, et cetera, are, uh, have their own cyber programs as well as their cyber, cyber coverage. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. We want to acknowledge our sponsor, Nexus IT, who provides great managed IT security services which is why we partner with them. They're a great partner. Earl Foote, the CEO, and his great group of staff can manage everything from firewalls to servers to cloud migrations. Need appropriate documentation of compliance efforts? We'll, we'll partner with them to give it to you. Don't have time or manpower to create policies, to migrate servers, to manage the IT in the organization? Well, tried and true, let Nexus IT Consultants do that for you. To find out more, go to nexusitc.net or call them at 435-659-2533. That's 435-659-2533. And we're back with Kelsey Kelly, COO and Robert Sargent, CEO of eSpecialty Insurance. Well, guys, where is the cyber industry going as a whole? How's it changed from, you know, two to five years ago? And, and, and what's coming into play? Who wants to tackle that first? Well, I, I'll jump in and then uh, Kelsey can, can add to it. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of trends going on. We talked about cybersecurity being um, a very important component of underwriting. Um, and certainly that's been a trend 
that is continue, will continue um, as underwriters change what they are looking for and what they expect in terms of cybersecurity. But a couple of other things. One is the um, packaging of services with uh, cyber insurance is critically important. It's really um, from two two pieces. One is uh, risk management services, and the other is incident response. So. From a risk management standpoint, there are um, companies that, after coverage is in place, will continue to monitor um, using third-party scanning um, the, you know, the systems and the external facing um, uh, things like ports, that kind of thing, um, and will provide feedback to their insured. So that's that's just one example of a number of different um, risk management. Um, services that are offered. I will say that the industry at the moment is only doing external um, scanning. Uh, there are some companies that are starting to think about how they can get internal to a network and and do some monitoring um, there in conjunction with uh, with their insured. But that that's not not for prime time quite yet. Um, the other is is maybe even more important, and that is the 24-7 incident response. And really, the, the idea is to, um, and this is sort of an insurance perspective, but is to pull immediate responses to a problem that's occurring um, at a, a particular insured, um, pull that service out of the claims department and provide resources. And, we, you know, the example I always use, we had a client um, that had a ransomware attack and, um, you know, they nobody reads their policy at that point, you know, so they called us and, you know, and we put them in contact with the carrier's incident response service and they had the experts um, lined up and operating in a matter of hours uh, and they were back up and running, you know, in, in less than 48 hours. And that's sort of, I think, what the industry is striving for today. Not everything is uh, is always simple, but the best carriers are doing a really good job at this incident response, and it makes a huge difference for the insured and for the carrier. So I, I would say those are probably the, the biggest trends. The last one I'll just mention is that... Um, the industry is trying to get better with what we talked about right at the beginning of the conversation, and that is um, assuming that they can get the information from a um, potential insured is turning around for the majority of accounts um, quotes, and quotes means the whole, you know, the whole shooting match, right? So it includes not only pricing, but what are the terms, the limits, the coverages, the services that are offered and um, providing that back to us fast. And so Kelsey's been you know, leading our, our charge on that is how do we apply technology to that process to get not only the pricing back, but to get um, all the terms and the information and then obviously our expertise providing back to the client in a matter of minutes and uh, do it in a way that's e easy to consume. So that that is a trend that's been um, starting to pick up and and we've applied technology to them very good anything to add there kelsey yeah i would just say that um sort of the through line to the the trends bob mentioned is really the alignment of carrier incentives and insured incentives and i think that's a really neat part of sort of cyber insurance is the better that underwriters can underwrite the risk by understanding the, the technical positioning of the insured, it puts them in a better position to price the risk accurately, but then also to sort of step in with some of those services at time of incident. And, um, you know, I think when people think of claims experiences with insurers, you can sometimes imagine adversarial, uh, you know, they're not paying my claim situations. And what I think is really neat is about cyber is where the industry is investing its resources. So to get a better picture of underwriting that risk also helps with the provision of services um, in the event of a claim situation. And um, I just think that's a really, uh, a nice place um, for the industry to be headed. Very good. Incidentally, I have to jump in here. Some of those services, uh, WebCheck, 
provides. We actually have a, a device we call the Magic Box and a, a VM that we can uh, get access internally into networks. As you mentioned, Bob, earlier, a lot of organizations now are distributed. Everything's in the cloud. They're accessing from home. And, and so you don't have traditional infrastructure, but traditional infrastructure still does exist. Um, and there are still data centers somewhere that have computers that are hosting these things. So for those organizations, uh, we, we ship our magic box and we can scan every asset um, internally and look for vulnerabilities. We also partner with some amazing 24-7 SOC uh, or Security Operations Center uh, services that manage what's called the the big SIM technology, the security information event um, management technology, and log events, and um, can you know manage and shut things down when it looks like there's a bad actor uh, in the system. And of course, we do penetration testing and digital forensics. We recently, <laughs> this is kind of a fun thing, and this could provide some big insurance claim here, and I, I won't mention. Uh, but there is a very, very large financial institution. And I won't mention what part of the U.S. because it's uh, this could tip it off. But it uh, uh, recently we did a um, an access and multi-factor authentication assessment for them and found that there had been a back door potentially open for nine years that may have been used by bad actors, potentially even the mob, um, to gain access to internal VLANs. And we were able to pop in on a, a Telnet connection that didn't require a password to some very sensitive uh, internal network things. Now, this all came about as we were doing this multi-factor audit, which is not really a pen test, but it's testing the multi-factor authentication. And there you go again, Bob, that how important MFA is this organization asked us to test that externally on dozens and dozens of assets. So when you think about VPNs, uh, the, the hardware they're tied to, it may be a VPN firewall, um, web applications, um, all kinds of login portals and other pieces of hardware is a multi-factor turned on B is it functioning properly and C if it's not configured properly, can we intercept, cause the server to burp, gain access? And that's essentially what our guy did. He documented it all. And then at, at 3 a.m. called one of their IT folks and said, um, you need to know about this. <laughs> not a good day for that organization in terms of uh, what comes next, but a, a great day in terms of finding it and shutting it down. And hopefully there hasn't been massive uh, financial loss there. Now they're going to have to do so. Anyway, the point is we do that kind of stuff. And it's uh, it's exciting uh, to be involved in that kind of technological vanguard in preventing uh, further cyber leakage or to mitigate uh, potential cyber leakage. All that to say, though, hopefully they have a good cyber policy. <laughs> and if not, we'll uh, turn them on to e-specialty insurance. <laughs> So, so Greg, you, you actually raised a, something very important that we haven't talked about. And, and you know, we, you've asked some questions and we've had some discussion about how underwriters look at different um, types of organizations and how they assess risk and mm -hmm. price. So one of the questions that is always asked, and I'm sure most of you and all your listeners have seen this on any kind of a... Uh, most any kind of insurance application is, is have you had a claim or are you aware of, of any situation that could lead to a claim? Like in a, for cyber, that it means have you had any kind of a breach? So it's, and, and when underwriters see a situation where there has been um, a cyber incident, uh, they will look at the account differently. They'll want to know what steps have been taken um, and, you know, obviously to try to ensure that it's not going to happen again. But, you know, your your point is uh, is a great one that companies really should be proactive in preventing that because obviously it's good business for them and it will also impact, you know, how they're viewed by cyber insurance underwriters um, in the future. And how that distills down, Bob, is, uh, you know, there's two simple things. Are they conducting a cyber risk assessment every year? 
It really needs to be redone by a third party because stuff comes up. Let me give you an example. Um, we had a company that had a scare. Um, there, there was a bad actor poking at an AWS development server that normally wouldn't be open and have the ports open than it did. But because they were testing some development things, they forgot to shut it down and they left it open. What that speaks to is policy and, and having it documented and then following those, those policies, right? And so that risk assessment, uh, organizations may think they're good. Hey, we've just gone through NIST or CIS. We've just gotten our SOC 2. We've got all these programs and policies, but it always needs to be reviewed. And number two, have you had a penetration test and do you have ongoing vulnerability scanning? And, and that can be really important. Um, I can tell you that as a penetration testing firm, one of the main things we do, we never do a pen test, but what we find stuff. And some of that stuff is pretty significant uh, every year. Sometimes same clients will renew with us year after year. And we always find stuff, particularly with applications where code is constantly being updated or deployed. And that's why you do it, right? It's not that the developers are bad or that anybody is necessarily dumb. It's just that it's so complex. Cyber is so multifaceted. So those two things alone, Bob, I think if organizations are doing their risk assessment and, and pen test. So this is probably a good a good place to, to leave this. And so maybe I'm asking you to rehash what we've already said. But if you were to leave our listeners today with some uh, sage advice. What are some of the sticking points you've run into when organizations are trying to get a good coverage and be decent premiums? Uh, what, what do you advise them to do? Well, I, a couple things. One, obviously uh, to make sure that they have um, uh, cybersecurity in place. Um, obviously, that as we've talked about, that varies a little bit based on the type of business and the size and that kind of thing. But um, certainly things like MFA and pen testing and patching and um, some of the basic stuff we've talked about, that would be number one. Number two, um, you know, I, we would love to have people come talk to us. Uh, we think, you know, um, people, our competitors should be dealing with the best uh, cyber underwriters and providing the range of options so that uh, uh, the organizations, the clients have the, the best options to choose from. And uh, we've built a, um, a product and a process for doing that um, while providing expertise as well. So those would be, you know, Kelsey, what else? What did I miss? It's funny you started with uh, have cybersecurity in place because what I was thinking is, you know, it's not too soon to consider cyber insurance in the modern world where, you know, the, the sort of upfront risks um, or exposures you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast saying, you know, if you process payments, if you send money electronically, I mean, these are things that modern businesses are doing, you know, almost daily um, without maybe thinking through what the uh, risks or exposure factors are. And um, even if you don't have perfect cybersecurity in place, I think cyber insurance as a part of a cybersecurity strategy is really powerful because it provides sort of that range of services, um, some of that external scanning to help you spot vulnerabilities and ultimately risk transfer um, so that, you know, you're not opening up your um, business to risks um, just from sort of operating in the modern world. So um, my thinking is, you know, really understanding that it's not an either or decision with cybersecurity and cyber insurance. It's part of a, you know, comprehensive strategy to, to have both um, in, you know, varying ways and shapes that make sense for your business and exposures. I love it. It's a, you know, if you want to excel in a sport, you got to do the weight training you got to do your physical training and you got to have the nutrition. If, if, uh, and I say that as a weightlifter, I, you know, I'm a 60 year old guy who uh, d deadlifts over 400 pounds and I have a very specific um, regimen that I follow with uh, supplements and hydration and protein. Right. And uh, 
you know, at age 60, I'll wither away to nothing if I don't do that. So it's, uh, and cyber insurances and, and cyber practice is the same way, right, guys? That's what I hear you saying. Bob, you said, uh, you know, yep. uh, MFA, um, penetration testing, um, and data backups. I mean, those are three key things, but you know what? They're hard to do, and so many organizations still aren't doing it. I know this because when we did our SOC 2, and we're a small organization, smallish, you know, we had to go out to, um, uh, you know, nine or a dozen different engineers and employees that we use, and then uh, another dozen contractors, have them sign attestations that they would turn MFA on when they're working on our projects, uh, that they had a firewall um, that either on their Mac, Windows, or a physical device that it was turned on, that they had disk encryption turned on. These are simple things, but to do them, and then to ensure that they're being done, it takes effort. It takes energy, right? It takes time. Uh, we had to write all our policies. Yep. Um, and, and these things seem simple. Um, and, and in reality, they're not rocket science. It just has to be done. And so what you're saying is have a, a cyber program. And Kelsey, you're saying, but you can't have that in a vacuum. you got to have some coverage. Um, I've heard executives say, well, we'll just manage our cyber program by insurance and if we get breached they'll just pay out well underwriters aren't doing that anymore <laughs> because uh, they'll ask the question yep. do you have your mfa right do you have your vulnerability management do you have your infosec policies show us <laughs> right so um well guys this this has been fantastic kelsey you get the last word because our our listeners are going to want to get a hold of you guys so what's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you Yes, you can find us on eSpecialty.com. Um, we have our digital application. You can get a quote for cyber insurance um, by answering just four quick que yes or no questions about your MFA posture. Um, so, and we can provide you with up to 14 quotes um, in under two minutes. So really feel that you know, if you're curious about cyber, if cyber's right for you, will what's cyber going to cost me? Um, we are in a great position to help you get the answer to those questions quickly, easily, and from your couch on a Sunday night. So um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. To, uh, find us there. Um, or if you have a more specific question, shoot us an email at solutions at eSpecialty.com. Well, that is really easy. So eSpecialty.com or solutions at eSpecialty.com. Well, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Bob and Kelsey, for being with us today. Vistas thanks our sponsor, Nexus IT Consultants. And uh, today's music has been provided by Suit Up Soldier and can be downloaded on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular platforms. Thanks, guys. Let's do it again soon.